Welcome back to Tumor Board with Hilario and Anish. I'm your co-host, Anish. And I'm Hilario. So we're going to continue where we left off about our conversation about radiation oncology and you know what you need to know. So we mentioned a little bit about kind of different consults that we get, uh, but Hilario, can you tell us, you know, what are some common inpatient consults that sometimes the hospitalists or other providers may ask us to see? Yeah, I guess like on top of my head, it's probably like, you know, bone metastasis, right? Like mm-hmm. the bone, someone has a bone metastasis that is causing pain. Pain is probably like the number one, right? Some of the other ones that people you know, we get is a spinal cord compression. Actually, one of the few uh, relative emergencies in radiation oncology, right? And then bleeding uh, from hemoptysis uh, or rectal bleeding or bladder, uh, bleeding from the bladder as well. Um, mm-hmm. the, so what would you say are emergent versus urgent versus not really that urgent? <laughs> So uh, I guess like, uh, in terms of um, uh, emergent, uh, what's it called, uh, radon consult, right? I think the one that will probably come on is, is the spinal cord compression, right? Mm-hmm. And that's because the longer you wait for a spinal cord compression without the appropriate treatment, the worse the neurological symptoms can be and the least likely it is to, to, to be resolved, right? So. That is uh, probably the most common radon emergency that we see in the hospital. That's um, really because that idea is, you know, there's like acute spinal cord compression. Potentially, mm-hmm. we can help restore function that they've lost. Right. 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 I would say if it's someone who's, you know, they've had this like weakness for three months or something, we really can't help restore function. In that case, it might not be emergent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And... I guess like someone hemoptysis, depending on the degree of it, uh, I, I definitely see why it, you can make a case for it being an emergency. But in those cases, I, I I'm not particularly sure whether if someone's actively bleeding, then it would be a, an appropriate, uh, what's it called, radiation oncology. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it could be that they could go for, uh, what's it called, um, try and do some kind of you know, immediate intervention, like from an interventional radiology perspective. And enter something. Right. And then we could, uh, uh, we could come in if, if needed. Uh, SVC syndrome, depending on the grade of the SVC syndrome, can also be uh, emergent uh, as well. So those are the two uh, that I can see uh, as common. But by far, we don't get a whole lot of emergencies uh, in radiation oncology, uh, uh, which is, you know, for good or bad, it's, it's like the nice thing about about our field, right? Mm-hmm. So what, I guess, like what, what is our role in all of this? And like as a radiation oncologist, or even as a resident, because we see the bulk of consults in the hospital, right? How do you usually approach a consult? Let's say you, you want a Monday and then you start a consult. Um, how, what's your approach usually to, to a consult? Mm-hmm. So the first thing is I always want to clarify why we're being consulted. Um, and I think that just helps us, you know, get a frame in mind as to what we're trying to look out for. Um, and if there's even something we can do for that. 
And then the second thing is really the full history of the patient. I think some patients have very long, extensive oncologic histories. So histories related to their cancer, they may have had multiple systemic therapies. They may have had radiation in the past. Um, uh, they may have had surgeries. Um, and again, how does that relate to the problem that is happening right now? Another thing is their overall disease status. You know, if they're on systemic therapy, is this the first line? Is this the fifth line? Um, is everything mostly controlled and this is kind of one area that's the problem? Or is everything, you know, spreading rapidly? Um, and again, tying that into what's happening now, but also the the local disease. Is this, you know, is there a disease at bay, but there's this like one tumor that's causing them pain or causing this bleeding, but everything else seems to be relatively okay? And also the performance status, you know, can they tolerate treatment? Can they be discharged? And do they have social support? Um, can they even be brought down from the inpatient ward to our department safely and be transferred from the table to our treatment table, or rather from the um, stretcher to our treatment table and back safely? Um, are they on some type of breathing instrument to help them breathe? You know, they're intubated, things like that. You know, what's What's going on in this overall picture of the patients and why are we being consulted? And I think that also, you know, we also, a lot of times we talk to the other providers. So we'll talk with the medical oncologist or the surgeon or the pulmonologist or the IR doctor, depending on what we're consulted on and to kind of see everyone's thoughts about what they would like to do. Like we mentioned before, you know, someone has this bleeding mass causing hemoptysis and it's acutely bleeding, maybe we're not the first people. So we'll see, hey, can Palmer IR do something about it first? And then maybe we can reevaluate later, but if they can't, then we want to get things going on our end. Um, so and these are all the things we have to talk to all the providers and get a full kind of picture. And the other thing I did mention is look at the imaging. There has to be imaging. Um, we really can't do anything without imaging because I need to know exactly what this tumor, what this disease looks like in order to even think about, you know, what am I even trying to treat? And so we need as best imaging and as most recent imaging as possible. Yeah, I mean, good, but that's a very thorough um, process that um, I think that you know, one of the things that you mentioned is whether they've had prior RT. I think it, it mm -hmm. matters, particularly, you know, in terms of when they had the radiation, right? Because yeah. if someone had radiation a week ago to say, you know, uh, mm. T5 to T, T7, right? And they've come to us uh, and they haven't that, and we've got a consult for that same issue. It is very, very unlikely that we're going to be able to give radiation to that person again safely, right? Um, especially depending on the type, the, the amount of dose they've got already. So uh, those are considerations uh, that, uh, you know, that, you know, we take into, into account. Uh, sometimes the systemic therapy that you're on may not make it okay or may, might make it uh, not conducive for us to do radiation. Right. And the ones that I can think of is like some people on VEGF inhibitors, right? VEGF inhibitors can sometimes cause issues with 
the blood vessels and something can cause you know abnormal bleeding uh, with radiation right so the side effect toxicity from being on on vegf inhibitors for some patients right like sometimes we want a washout period right before we can do that so it is important to be for us to know that or we, mm-hmm. we, we take a look at what 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 kind of medications or systemic therapy that they, they are on right and you already mentioned performance status in terms of what a patient is able to lay flat because usually we put patients in in, in some form of flat position whether it's supine or prone right so um mm-hmm. it, it matters what whether they can tolerate that occasionally we can treat some people uh, uh you know at an incline but the angle of incline is not too, too it's not it's not steep as pe- some people may think so even that mm-hmm. there's not a whole lot of room for for treatment in those uh i think the big thing that sometimes happens also is the social aspect of of a patient's uh, care right so there might be um there might be transportation issues for certain patients especially patients where we get consult from, but like they're ready to be discharged, right? And and they they have to continue their radiation treatment coming from home, right? That that can influence yeah. that can influence our fractionation, our uh, you know how many treatments we really want to give them. So if someone says, "Hey, uh, I really don't have transportation," you know, maybe social work can get involved in trying to secure. Uh, uh, you know, trying to secure some form of transportation, but if that fails and that happens more regular, uh, regularly and often in the hospitals than we we may think, uh, that may change whether we do maybe one fraction, you know, for someone who needs some form of palliative treatment versus say five five days of treatment or even ten days of treatment, right? Uh, so that also matters. And yeah, so is there any 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 things, any aspect of uh, you know, a consult that you feel like, let's say, some, sometimes our colleagues miss and or do not consider mm-hmm. before consulting us, that this is not meant to be, you know, like a negative kind of uh, podcast episode, but it, it's meant to be more informative that like these are some of the things that like sometimes can help actually facilitate the care of the patient, right? So mm-hmm. instead of them spending three days in the hospital, sometimes because of some of the things, they might end up being in the hospital for like a week or so. So is there any, any, any things that you think that are crucial that sometimes our colleagues miss and then we would like them to know? I think, you know, one of the big things, sometimes we are consulted on patients um, who we suspect to have cancer, but we don't actually have a tissue pathologic diagnosis right. of it. Right. And we typically, you know, we're not going to treat just any mass because this is an irreversible treatment. You know, it's not like mm-hmm. a medication where potentially we get rid of the side effects um, by maybe another medication, but this is really irreversible treatment. We can't take it back. Um, so we really need to know what cancer it is and what kind of cancer. Because certain cancers even, you know, Radiation just may not be one of the initial forms of treatment, or it just may not be helpful in that setting. And sometimes we'll get these patients when we consult that seems metast- there seems to be some mass that's metastatic, but we don't actually know, you know, what it is. And so then we really need to wait for that diagnosis. Otherwise, we're just not going to be able to treat anyone. Um, the other thing is imaging. Um, you know, we've I'm sure it's happened to many. Uh, to many of us, 
you get consult and maybe um, they there's a um, a spread of cancer in the brain or maybe there's something in the lung or somewhere else, but there's no imaging or there's inadequate imaging. You know, maybe there's a CT in the head, but a CT is not the best imaging for the brain than MRI is. Um, and there's not really much we can do with the CT because we don't know how many lesions there could be in the brain. We don't really know if that lesion even is a metastasis per se. It could just, it could be something else. There's other pathologies that occur as well. And to that point about, you know, imaging in the brain, for example, like, you know, <laughs> that can help us also decide, you know, whether someone can get uh, SRS, right? Uh, you know, yeah. Your surgery versus whether someone needs whole brain because MRI is going to show how many lesions they have in their brain mm-hmm. and whether it is feasible to be able to do like SRS, for example, right? And and to your mm-hmm. point about your point about tissue diagnosis, right? If someone, in, let's say we, we see some disease in the lung, right? And that's suspicious for the, that's where the primary disease might be, right? For example, right? You know, right. depending on whether it's small cell or non-small cell, right? Someone, we might not necessarily try and push uh, SRS for someone who has small cell. It is definitely possible, but it, again, it, 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 usually with something like small cell, uh, we usually try and do whole brain, right? Uh, because the idea is that uh, radio surgery is not necessarily uh, the standard of, of treatment for those people. Uh, so it, I just right. wanted it to Right, it can change the whole trajectory. Right, mm-hmm. right, right. Yeah, and also it just allows more of like a fruitful discussion with the patient and more directed and you can, you know, be a little bit um, clear as to kind of potential treatment options with them. So I think those two kind of are, are big things. And sometimes also just the oncologic history. It's, you know, like we mentioned, it's really important to know any previous diagnosis of cancer, any previous treatments. Um, but sometimes only when we start seeing the patient do we get kind of this information. And that could, mm-hmm. again, change the whole way we think about the patient and whether or not um, maybe we need to, the other our other colleagues need to be consulted, et cetera. I would also say, you know, when we want to treat a patient, again, because there's all these steps that we have to do, like we mentioned last time, where we do a simulation scan, we um, work with our dosimeters or physicists to create a treatment plan, then we treat the patient. Sometimes we just can't do it in in the same day. And if we are able to treat same day or next day, it's usually a very kind of crude treatment where it's easier to plan. It's not as sophisticated. So we really reserve those kind of things for more urgent or palliative kind of plans. But I think understanding that it's not as sophisticated, this is really for kind of palliation or urgent treatments of some nature, and knowing that there could be a little time delay, I think it's important for um, some of our colleagues to know. Right. It, it takes time to uh, simulate and plan. And depending on what our goals are, mm-hmm. right? Uh, so if someone has uh, you know, localized disease and we think we can cure them, right, that's a different concept from someone with metastatic disease and just just like you said if someone you know the the intent is palliative then obviously we can turn around the radiation plan in a very short time but if if it is something that we're going for cure right 
sometimes we have to make sure that we're coordinating with medical oncology if some this is a cancer that needs some kind of radio sensitizer, right? So I guess what I will add to the thing that sometimes, you know, uh, gets gets missed in, in the process of consulting is also making sure the other multidiscipline teams are aware of, of such a consult, mm. right? So if it's brain med uh, with a lot of neurological symptoms, right? Neurosurgery is aware of the patient, right? If it is something that's localized, right? Let's say osophageal cancer, right? We, you want to make sure that GI medical oncology is also aware of it so that, you know, the moment we're seeing the patient, we can all come together quick enough, right? Mm-hmm. As opposed to that step of like, you know, finding out this is not happening and then adding on the next person. And those tend to drag things on and add extra days between when someone's disease is diagnosed versus when they actually started treatment. It could do that. You know, like you you mentioned, especially when the kind of small disorder team needs to be involved because we think there could be a more better way, like a more definitive way to treat someone. I mean, in some cases, just the way consults work, the radiation oncologist who's consulted may not be like an expert in that disease site. So in that kind of setting, sometimes um, just scheduling like a more urgent outpatient um, radiation college evaluation would be much more better. Otherwise, sometimes the patients get confused because they're meeting someone and this person is saying, well, you know, this is what we're going to discuss, but we really need you to meet someone else. And that has to happen later anyways. So I think sometimes that could be helpful as well to get, to kind of get that idea um, if possible. And yeah, that, that's a very good point. Uh, I think one thing that also that I guess it- it is slowly probably becoming a pet peeve of mine is that like, like mm. if someone has cut compression, like unless there's any reason why they can't get steroids, right? They need to be on steroids, like even before we're consulted because those neurological symptoms, like it, the further they progress, the less likely that we can reverse it, even with radiation that we can turn around the plan the same day or whatever, right? So. Sometimes it is important that like, you know, when someone comes in with a known oncologic history and there is some concern about spinal cord compression, you know, maybe on CT, but they're going to get an MRI. I think you might, sometimes it's prudent to start someone like that on steroids and just to kind of help preserve the, fun- the function before before even radiation oncology gets, gets involved. Uh, because I, I think that's something that maybe gets missed in mm-hmm. all of this. Yeah, because steroids you can start immediately, but radiation, it'll take time even if we radiate. So you really want to start that as well. Right, right, right. So, Hilario, we talked a lot about this, even on the last episode, you know, what is radiation therapy? How does it work? What are the different types? When do we and how do we treat patients? The different kind of consults there are what other providers should think about before consulting us and also kind of how we approach or the things we consider when we look at patients. But can you just kind of summarize some of the things um, that we talked about? Yeah, I, I think this was helpful, at least for me, even though I'm, I'm not on the other end of it as, as a hospitalist, I think it's helpful for me also to kind of process the way I approach consults. You know, we talked about what radiation is, we're using high high energy x-rays, right? Uh, we're targeting 
cancer cells or tumors. The mm -hmm. reason why we're able to use them is because it can cause DNA damage uh, to these cancer cells. And because cancer cells are not very good at repairing themselves and they are usually like multi-proliferating, right? So we're able to use that to our advantage to kind of uh, sometimes kill them. Uh, we talked mm -hmm. about the different forms of delivery, you know, uh, external beam radiation and also internal radiation, also known as brachytherapy. And within those two, depending on what type of cancer an individual has and, you know, what type or the kind of side effects we're trying to minimize, we might use one or the other. We also talk about how long it takes to deliver radiation. You know, radiation can be a, pro a protracted process where it takes up to seven, eight weeks even, right, to, to give the radiation. Uh, mm -hmm. And then sometimes we can try and shrink all of that into a few radiation treatments. And all of that is dependent on the stage of the cancer, right, and, and uh, what kind of side effects that we can get away with. So if someone has a lot of issues or we are concerned about a lot of the organs in the area, right? We don't want to give a high amount of radiation in one setting. So that's something that we, we, we mentioned. We also mentioned this sometimes radiation takes some, even when we're delivering the radiation, it takes some time to take effect, right? So if someone was actively, say, bleeding, like copious amount of bleeding, it might not necessarily be that radiation oncology coming first. It, it might be that they will need some form of intervention. So one of the things that we want us as a team with hospitalists and, and and radiation oncologists and medical oncologists to kind of come together to understand is that who is the appropriate person to actually go after a problem or a consult, right? So that's something that to consider. And also radiation and how long we do it for also is dependent on our goal, right? The goal being that whether this person is going, we're going for cure versus whether this is palliative, we're trying to mitigate symptoms, right? So when we're trying to mitigate symptoms, our treatment is not as long as people that we're trying to take to cure or potentially cure. So that, that also factors into the timing of radiation. And then once we made all those decisions, you know, it, it takes time to actually mm -hmm. uh, simulate someone or plan the radiation that we're going to give. And part of that process involves not just as radiation oncologists, but it involves our radiation therapists, the people that are doing the simulation, and our dosimetries of physicists who have to come up with a plan that is both safe for the patient and also effective for doing the job that we wanted to, we wanted to do. So those are the considerations from our end before someone even starts radiation, right? And just talking about what we talked about in this episode, some of the things that needs to really be added is that this person has have tissue diagnosis because radiation oncologists, you know, cannot really treat something that they don't know what the diagnosis is. So it is important, and especially if someone, let's say, needs urgent treatment, right? It is. It becomes even more imperative that we get tissue diagnosis. Mm -hmm. Knowing whether they've had radiation before uh, and when they had it, usually someone had radiation more than a year from, from the day we're being consulted. It gives us leeway to be able to give radiation if we're doing that radiation to that same place again. again. So that's something that we, we consider as well. And I guess the last thing that we 
like is that like I think cancer care really is a multidisciplinary uh so yep. regardless of what cancer it is like you want all the appropriate people involved medical oncology surgical oncology and radiation oncology and usually because almost invariably patients are going to benefit from seeing all of us and having a good plan before they go ahead with their treatment especially if their cancer is curable so those are some of the things that I think is important to know for oncologists and also for our fellow hospitalists and internal medicine folks in the hospital. We hope this was a useful resource for all of you, and uh, we hope that uh, you can learn something from it. And don't be afraid to reach out to your friendly neighborhood radiation oncologist. <laughs> are you, are you a friendly radiation oncologist? <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay, okay. I think um, we all are. <laughs> right. um, so again, if you like what what we're talking about and you want to shoot us a message, our, our you know our email is in, in show notes. Please subscribe or like our episodes and, and 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 let us know what we're doing right and what we're not doing right in the comments. If you listen on on a podcast app, uh, you can follow us on Spotify, you know, Apple Podcasts, and, and any really any any app that you use for listening to podcasts. But thank you for tuning in this week and uh, we'll see you in the next one.